Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, we're talking with head coach of Nevejus, David Gale. And for those who don't know David, he played college basketball at Loyola, Chicago. And pretty much right after graduation, he started his coaching path and joined the Los Angeles Clippers organization. Uh, next, he spent about six years with the Toronto Raptors. Then he was an assistant for the 76ers G League team. And in 2018, he moved across the water to be on staff. Uh, at Porsche BBA, which is a part of Ludwigsburg's organization. And most recently, he's coming off his first season as the head coach of Nevejus in Lithuania. So welcome, David. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really uh, happy to be here right now. Let's talk some basketball. We're excited to have you. So I usually like to have my guests start off with uh, with telling the audience a little bit about their upbringing. Maybe you can just uh, talk about maybe when and how hoops started impacting your life. Sure. Um, well, I was born in LA in the 80s. So, you know, the, the, the um, prime time of Lakers Showtime right there. So uh, the story my parents tell me is that at like three years old, I asked them to put up a hoop in the backyard. So right from the jump, it was basketball. Um, and growing up, you know, Magic Johnson um, was who I tried to emulate. And, and then Jason Kidd, my dad, my dad was a didn't play, but went to, to Berkeley. And so I was a big Cal fan. So I watched Jason Kidd and, uh, you know, I really got into it and um, started playing when I was seven. And it's just been, it's just, it's felt like what I've been meant to do the whole time. So, uh, you know, I don't think there was ever a time it wasn't basketball. That's awesome. Man. I love it. Yeah. Jay Kidd, one of my personal favorites right there. That's great. And then Underrated so kids these days, nobody, nobody watches Jay Kidd anymore. I know, I know. I, yeah, I think we got to get that train going again there. Um, yeah. And so, so you played at uh, played at Loyola Chicago. So, what's it been like, uh, you know, watching the success of of your alma mater the past few years? I mean, obviously, not to downplay the times that you were there, but you know, some of the recent national success the past couple of years must have had you pumped. It's been pretty unbelievable, to be honest. Uh, when I was there, we were picked to win the league, and it ended up not. Ha you know, uh, it was the first run of Butler, so. Um, when Brad Stevens was an assistant coach at Butler um, and they had AJ Graves and um, I can't even remember the point guard. I can't, uh, but anyways, they were, you know, they took over and they beat us my senior year. They beat us three. We played them three times. And in those three games is a total differential of one point. So um, it, it's been amazing to see Loyola. Uh, the, the furry, when they went to the final four was the year I was with Philadelphia. And uh, I still remember, you know, I was, I flew back home. The season just ended right at the final four. And uh, we were doing a walkthrough for, for, with my wife for our wedding. And I had a text from one of the people with the organization with the Sixers. And they said, if they make it to the finals, I'm buying you a ticket. And that was a little argument with my, you know, fiance. <laughs> um, but it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And, and uh, you know, they really are accepting of alumni and 
So I got to go to my first game actually last uh, last year during during All Star Weekend in Chicago when I was there for Basketball Without Borders with Ariel Huckporty. I went to a Loyola Northern Illinois game or Northern Iowa, sorry, and it was really great to just be back there and and see everybody I hadn't seen in years, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. So <clears throat> right after you graduated, so it was a year like right after you graduated. It was that year, right? You you went right into coaching. So so walk me through that process, like. Did you, was there a point when you were playing when you were like, Hey, I want to play at the next level? Or did you always kind of have that, that feeling like, look, you know, coaching's where I want to be. Walk, walk, walk me through that transition. So it's funny. My mom used to tell me when I was in high school that I'd be a great coach someday. And I, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not for me. Um, and, you know, growing up when I grew up, Jerry Maguire had just come out. Right. So when I went to Loyola, I actually went for uh, sports management and I wanted to be an agent. Uh, that was the plan. And so I didn't play a ton. My last couple of years at Loyola, the coach that recruited me was fired. And so I kind of started to see the game from a different standpoint. Uh, I got really close with uh, another name who's now on the national stage, uh, Patrick Baldwin, um, who was one of my assistant coaches. Now his son is the you know number three player in the country. It was funny when I was playing there, little Patrick Jr. was, you know, four years old running around the court. Now he's the number three player in the country. Um, but I started to talk to him and, you know, during the games, I go kind of ask questions or give suggestions of, of things maybe we should do. And uh, my best friend in college was Blake Schilb and we're still really close. Blake had a great career overseas. He's just finishing up. And so I would put him through workouts when we were seniors and kind of mess around with that side of it a bit. Um, and then actually, like I said, I wanted to be an agent. So I interned, I interned at Wasserman the summer I got out of school, but um, I got really lucky through some connections. My sophomore, junior and senior summers, I worked at the Vegas Summer League three of the first four years it started. So I got in when we had 10 interns instead of the hundred that they now have. And so I got really lucky through that connection to reconnect with Neil O'Shea, who was at that point, the assistant GM with the Clippers, but had trained me when I was a 10 year old kid. So he offered me an internship in the video room and that's kind of what happened. And I realized right away how much I missed being with the team. And, you know, that's how I got to this point, basically um, just being around those people and, and grinding and working and, and seeing how it worked with the, you know, at that point we were a really veteran team with the Clippers with Mike Dunleavy. And, um, but yeah, it wasn't really planned and through some, you know, different connections, it just, I found myself back within it with, with a team and in the NBA and kind of the dream, you know, and figured it out from there. Yeah. No. I, and I'm glad you said at the end, you know, the hard work and grind too, because obviously it's, it's apparent that in, in, in any industry you're in, you have to get a little bit lucky with timing and obviously you put yourself in that situation, but it doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to work hard. You're not going to grind through it because it definitely, especially if you're in the sports business world. I mean, we all know that it, it involves a lot of the grind, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but I mean, look, I'll tell you the first, you know, we were talking before the first two years I was there, I got, it was zero dollars, zero. And the NBA doesn't allow that anymore. Um, but it was, you know, Donald Sterling was running the team and uh, we were one of the teams that paid, paid zero dollars for an internship. I actually had to go sign up for a class at a, at a, um, a junior college to make it seem as though I were a student still to have the internship I had. But yet wow. the hours and the grind and all that was like you're a full-time employee. So 
uh, I kind of realized early on that if you're going to stick and you really want to make this work, you, you have to be there. Like, you know, you have to grind like you're the head coach. So. That's so, but that's still the case though. Okay. May, maybe now you're not making $0, but you know, you, 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 how do you differentiate yourself? You have to be willing to sacrifice that type of stuff. And, and right now, you know, internships working essentially for free or for free is the way that you have to get your foot in the door. So, yeah. um, and, and so can you talk about a little bit when you're with the Clippers, what were some of your like roles and responsibilities when you were in that internship? Uh, and then how did you kind of progress along? So it changed a little bit from the first year to the second year, but the first year we didn't even have a practice facility yet. So this was 2007, 07, 08. So we were still training out of a, basically like a 24 hour fitness type place um, for practicing. And then all the other operations were at Staples Center. So most of the time I was at Staples Center and my main responsibilities were uh, doing college edits to prep for the draft. So I was working directly for the GM and assistant GM and, and scouts and all that. Um, so it was just a ton of video, like a ton, ton, ton of video that first year. And, um, and then year two, we built the brand new facility um, in Playa Vista. And so everybody was under one roof. And so at that point, it changed a little bit. Um, you know, I had playing experience. And so uh, they moved me more. I was on the court before practice. I was doing more of the NBA breakdowns, the game film, you know, preparing stuff for the coaching staff. Um, and post-practice on the court as well and then you know when you're the you're the intern in the video room if you're if you finish your work you get to be on the sideline of practice with a towel ready to wipe up the sweat off the court or you're up top filming practice with you know with the joystick uh, or you're in the video room prepping film for the coaches computers so when they finish practice they can just pick up their computer and leave and they're already loaded up with everything from the night before for their scouts uh, and so it's just it's a vast array of different things, but you're kind of like, you're kind of doing everything. Make sure the coaches have what they need. Make sure the GM has what he needs. Make sure the players get what they need. Um, and your first one in the door, you know, you want to be, when the coach walks in, you want to already be there. Um, right. When the head video guy walks in, you want to already be there. So I, I like I said, I kind of learned that early on. Like, and it really was instilled with my parents. Like, say yes until you have to say no, really, you know, just mm. keep saying yes, keep saying yes. And it's going to, you hope that good things pay off eventually for you. So um, yeah, that's, that was basically whatever they asked, I was there for. Right. Adding value any way you can and just being a sponge. And, and then, so, so what was the, it's always interesting to hear the transition of a coach's career, whether in the pros or in college, uh, you know, when you were ready to take that next step, how, I mean, how did you get yourself into a position to jump to the, the Raptors? I mean, was it just through networking? Was it through, you know, applying and, and, and interviewing or how did that process work for you? So um, again, time and opportunity, right? Being in the right place at the right time with the right opportunity presenting itself. So after year two, the assistant video coordinator got an opportunity to take this internship program with the Spurs. And the Spurs at that point were, I mean, still really, but like at that point, it was like the height of the Spurs. So he left a paid position to go take this role. And it's like a two-year thing. So when he left, I moved into the assistant role. And all of a sudden, my responses got bigger and they view you differently and everything changed. And then when the lockout hit, um, Going back to my internship at Summer League, uh, you know, everybody knows Warren Legary kind of is in charge of Summer League. So I had gotten in early. So as a young guy, you know, Warren kind of looks after the guys who, are, who have come up. If, as long as you work hard for him, 
he's going to help you out. Um, you know, obviously he wasn't my agent, but he helped me. Um, mm. So he represented Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey needed a video guy in Toronto. And that's the connection right there. Um, and I was kind of told by the people with the Clippers, you have to take this opportunity. Like it's mm. going to be a step up for you. And so you have to take calculated risks in this business. And, you know, I was home. We had Blake Griffin. We had DeAndre Jordan, Eric Gordon. Everything was going from being a bad team to a good team. But when the, your bosses tell you you have to take it, you have to trust them and take it. So uh, that's how I ended up in Toronto. It was the lockout season. And uh, I moved there December 1st. The season, the training camp started December 10th. And we were, boom, we were rolling. And the next thing you know, I was in Canada for six years. Wow. Seven years, really. I lived there for seven. I was with the team for six. Um, wow. So I married a Canadian girl. That's why I was there for seven. There you go. There you go. Um, so, so when you shipped to the Raptors, what were some of the, the, the responsibility changes? I mean, were there, was it a lot of the same, um, or, or did you have a, a completely new role that you had to kind of relearn? Um, it was, it was a more responsibility. Like, I think it was, it was discussed when I took the job that I could be on the court. Um, and then I had done some advanced scouting. So really, as soon as I got there, they, asked me if I would get in the car and drive to Cleveland and go advance scout a game. Mm. So boom, I was like, Oh, I mean, look with the Clippers, I was going to Staples to watch Laker games just to learn it. You know, here they were like, go there, get it done, do the work. We'll pay for all the expenses. So um, opportunities like that presented themselves a lot where I could go to Detroit or I could go to Cleveland. And it was a lot of driving again. Like I would drive there, go to the game, drive back the same night it's a three three and a half hour drive you know you're trying to stay awake all the whole way there and then you've got to type up the the plays and give it to the co but it's again you're just trying to get to another step up so there was that added responsibility to give me um i'd also was on the court a lot more um i had young i had coaches that trusted me to help them out um and really the biggest advantage was we had so many players from Los Angeles where I'm from that in the summertime, one of our assistant coaches is also from LA. Um, now Eric, Eric Hughes, he's now with the 76ers. Uh, he would come back and he trained Damar, Amir Johnson, uh, eventually Terrence Ross. Um, who else do we have? Ed Davis would come to LA, Landry Fields. Uh, the, I mean, the list went on of guys that were just in LA all summer. And so it was just, he was training him and I was his guy on the court. And so, you start to get the trust of these guys. And then I remember when Eric left and I'd call him, I say, Hey, e, I'm putting a workout together. Can you, can you look it over for me and tell me, he's like, Oh, you know it. You, you watched it. You've been there. You've done it with me. You you're good. And so the biggest thing to me was the added responsibility and the trust. And I tell, um, I tell people this a lot. And I've told Dwayne Casey this, like when he gave me the belief like he, when he believed in me and told me I was doing a good job, every time he'd say, you got it, you know what you're doing, you're doing a great job, it, it, it builds your own confidence. And when the people above you give you that belief that you know, that they believe that you know what you're doing, I mean, it's like positive reinforcement is, it's priceless. It's priceless. That's huge, man. I, I talk about that a lot. I mean, anytime that I can, that I can, 
give a word of encouragement to someone like it, it just it, it means the entire world because you know a lot of times you know there's it's a it's a pressure-filled business and so like you, you know you ask yourself like yeah man am i doing the right thing like am i but you are yeah. you, you know you are and, yeah. and on that topic so go, no, go these ahead. people i was just gonna say these people don't even, to them it's not some maybe they realize what they're doing maybe they don't but you know i think then when you let them know how much that helped you it's i mean they realize what they did, you know, but some, it's, it's so easy to just give that word of encouragement. And it, like you said, it just goes so far. Yeah. Yes. No, you're right. A hundred percent. And then one thing that, that, that I noted here that you said is taking calculated risks. So um, one, one of the transitions for you, that was definitely a big calculated risk. And I don't want to skip over the rest of your coaching stops. And I know you're with, you know, with, uh, with 76ers as well, but the big calculated risk for you was, to head overseas. And so walk me through that process on how that opportunity presented itself and what was going through your mind. I'm like, Hey, you know, you, you almost have to start over and, and, and take a couple steps back. You know, I think just to, to jump back one step, the first calculator risk for me was actually leaving. I was on the second row of the bench with the Raptors and we were in the playoffs and I asked to go to the nine Oh five. So looking back on it, was it the right move? Was it not the right move? To be honest, I don't know, but I know I wouldn't be the coach I am today if I hadn't done that. Maybe I'd still be in the NBA sitting on the bench with Nick Nurse right now. I don't know. But I know I wouldn't have gained uh, the knowledge. I wouldn't gain the experience. I wouldn't have gained the confidence in myself had I not gone to the 905 route. Um, so again, that was a calculated risk. And I had a lot of people in the organization telling me, if you want to be a coach, you have to go coach. Like you can be a video slash player development, but until you are a coach, people are looking, they look at you different. So that was the first one. So if we want, we can go back to that. But um, the overseas thing, really, I did one year with Delaware um, and then not to get too deep into it, but the, there were changes made in the front office with the people who brought me in. Um, that was 2018. So anyone listening to this, you can go back. You can see what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um Brian Colangelo I love him he's taking care of me along the way when he was let go I was let go as well so um it was kind of you know I had been through that grind of like man I went from Toronto to Delaware and now things changed again and uh Billy Baino who anyone who knows him is one of the greatest human beings in the world uh, I was sitting with him, talking to him about maybe an opportunity with Indiana. And he brought up this opportunity in Germany. And uh, he said, <laughs> because it's Billy Baino, he said, I think it's coaching the national team. I'm not sure. And he was way off on that one. Um, <laughs> but I texted my wife right away and I said, hey, what do you think about going to Germany? And she said, Germany would be beautiful for a year or two. So as soon as I knew she was on board, uh, I called the coach. Within a week, we talked, and it was uh, it was an opportunity, first opportunity to be a head coach. It was a U19 team, but it was with a future NBA prospect who I've now been with for the last three years, and the kid's like a son to me. So uh, the, the doors that open for you, you can never predict where it's going to lead you, especially in the sports world. Um, but so it was, it was an opportunity to be a head coach and kind of diversify my resume uh you know there's so many guys now in the g league and 
college coaching that are just grinding and grinding and nothing stands out on that resume. Um, and so to me, it was, you know what, I could jump to another G league team and then maybe get lucky. And, you know, I don't know, but this thing came up and I, you know, I just said, Hey, let me change the narrative for, okay. I left Toronto. Now I left Delaware. Let me change the narrative. I don't want to jump from team to team to team and be stuck in the G league and six month contracts and trying to figure out where I'm living and all that. So, uh, I did some research. Kobe Carl, actually, who I, I played AAU ball with when we were younger, uh, I called him because he had played for this team. Uh, Frank Robinson, who I'm now working with uh, here at the district in, in LA, he played for this team. So I, I made some calls. Bryce Taylor, who I grew up with as well, like all these guys who have played overseas. And they said, yeah, I mean, look, the, the city's great. The club's great. Historically, it's good. Plus, I had an NBA prospect that I could mold. So again, I say, you know what? Hey, the worst thing that happens is I go over there for a year or two years. I have an interesting opportunity and, and a life experience, and I try and come back after that. And best case scenario is I just make this European coaching career out of it. So it was an unbelievable opportunity, really. I, I can't thank John Patrick enough for giving me my first opportunity to be a head coach because all these young coaches out there, you just need the chance. You just need, someone needs to believe in you to give you a head coaching opportunity. And he did. And I took it and I ran with it. So, yeah. I, I mean, with, with, with coaching, with playing, with being an agent, you just need that one door to open and get that one opportunity because you're right. At the end of the day, it's oversaturated. Everyone wants to be a coach. Everyone yeah. wants to be a player. Everyone wants to be an agent. So how do you differentiate yourself? And, and that's why, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for guys like yourself that say, look, let me switch it up. It's going to be a step back in, in, in some aspect, but it's going to allow me to, to open other doors that would have never been opened otherwise if I didn't switch. Absolutely. Look, I had done, at that point, I had done four or five head coaching interviews in the G League. The first question they all asked, do you have head coaching experience? So now, I mean, at, like that was my thought. Okay, now, yes, yeah, I have head coaching experience. Okay, now what's the next question? You know, because as soon as you'd say no, but, you know, I coached the youth team in a tournament here, it, it, you discount yourself right off the bat um, and it makes it harder. It's an uphill climb. So definitely uh, to be like, it goes back to what they told me in Toronto. To be a coach, you have to coach, you know, yep. Be yep. a head coach. You have to have been a head coach, which is crazy as it sounds, you know, but that's the way it works now. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, so, so let's talk a little bit about the, the, the next stop over there, which was this, this year in, in, uh, in Lithuania, yeah. right? So you, you were kind of thrown into the mix, obviously in the, in the middle of the season, but you got your first, you know, uh, first division head coaching job opportunity in a, in an unbelievably talented league going against yeah. some big dogs, some Euro league teams. Um, so how did you, how different was that? And how did you kind of prepare for that different style of play? So, my thought process the whole time throughout quarantine was get back to the NBA. Like I walked away from Germany. They offered me a two-year extension. Didn't want to do it. Wanted to come back to America. Um, and I had some opportunities. And then because of the G League bubble and what that meant for certain teams, some teams I was communicating with that I was going to have opportunities with, just didn't play. So those disappeared. And right when that happened, they called me in Lithuania. Uh, and so I jumped on it. I, you know, um, I can't say this enough to young coaches. When the opportunity presents itself, 
take advantage of every connection you have there. Every single one, because opportunities do not come along very often. So Lithuania, boom, Jonas Valanciunas. You know, I called Jonas right away, uh, said, hey man, can you help me with this? Uh, you know, I called another uh, Lithuanian guy that I coached in Germany, asked him to help me out with this. Uh, I pushed all the, all the spaces I could possibly push to get this job. Uh, so you said, how did I prepare for it? Um, I watched a lot of film. I had, from the time they did the first interview with me to the time I landed in Lithuania, it was six days. So not a lot of time to prepare. So I watched as much film as I possibly could. Uh, I put together all my, I had a lot of stuff prepared already from coaching in Germany. That was just cultural stuff, excuse me. Um, and I had my ideas of what I wanted to do to go in and change the culture. Uh, and so that was my first step, like come in, here's what I'm gonna do, change the culture. Uh, we're gonna, you know, they asked me to focus on certain things that they didn't like about the previous coach. So it was, you know, go in, change, change the ideas of what we're doing, more free flowing, more open spacing, all that stuff. Uh, I think, I know if I were going back and doing it again, I would have kept a couple things from the previous coach because as I've heard from some NBA coaches who are new coaches this year, uh, they've come in and said, no, it's this way, forget about last year. We're not doing last year, this and that. And it, it immediately, it like, some players jump on board and some are like, yeah, but this worked, you know, like this is, this was our identity a little bit. So I would have kept a couple of those things. I think it would have made the transition easier. Um, and I think, you know, not to, to say anything about what I didn't do right, but the league was much tougher than I anticipated. Let's say that because Germany is up and down. It's physical, it's spacing, it's more American a little bit, still European, but more American. And you get to Lithuania and it is, I mean, I was not ready for the difference between Eastern Europe and Western Europe. It is old school, grind it out, find the mismatch, throw it inside, Oh, they're playing you this way. We're running these two plays. Just we're going to kill them on these two plays. And we're going to play in the half court. We're going to slow it down. And so I wasn't really truly prepared for that. Um, and then the other thing was the older guys are better than you anticipate. You see them on film and then you see them in person. You're like, man, this guy's smart. The league is really, really, really smart. Yeah. Uh, so there were those things that, you know, I probably could have done a better job, but coming in mid-season with that quick a turnaround, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I don't envy anybody who takes over mid-season. It is very tough. Right. Uh, I've talked to Will Void about it a little bit. It's really difficult. It, it's, uh, it's funny. I, I, uh, the first time that I ever went to Lithuania, I visited Zagiris. And yeah. I visited, obviously, I went to you know, the, the, the EuroLeague team practice, but I went to like the academy teams. Yeah. And I was it was mind blowing. You know, there, you have these 14, 15 year olds that first of all are absolutely, I don't know what they're feeding them over there, but they're huge, yeah. right? They're physical and they're just, it's a different style of basketball you've never seen before that you wouldn't imagine if you saw, you know, a middle school game here in the States. Right. And so I try to tell people like, it's just different out there. It's just, especially in Lithuania, it's, it's religion. I mean, it's, you, you know, you growing up, if you're a basketball player, you are a basketball player. 24 seven, you're learning the game, you're studying the game, you're getting your body right here. I mean, it's crazy. So, 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 so I know it's where really, you're coming from. It's crazy. I mean, look, see, when you say it that way, it's really funny. 
uh, Linus Kleiser played for the Raptors when I first got there. And then the year before I came to Lithuania, he was the GM of Ritas. So when I first got there, he sent me congratulations, all this. And then it was like three games in and I had two newspapers, three magazines that wrote articles. Cause I, like I told you, I think I was the first American maybe ever to coach in that league. And he sent me a message. He said, Hey, win a game before you do all this stuff. <laughs> hey man, it's not me. Like, but it's, that's their mindset over there. You know, uh, mm -hmm. we lost the game to Jalgiris by 30. I mean, and we had eight players. It was COVID. They were full strength. It was a tough game. I had a fan comment on the, like, not that I read these comments, but I was looking at our team's Instagram and wrote, I hope you get COVID. And I was like, holy, this is oh where we are. Oh my gosh. Lithuania, it is religion and they don't care who you are or what you're doing. You have to win, 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 you know? So it was a different experience, but great. I mean, I'm better for it. I know that. Definitely, definitely. But, you know, I love it, man. Like you said, one door closes for all you all you young coaches. One door closes, another will open. And, and when it does open, even if it's just that little crack, you better you better kick through that door and take that opportunity because they don't come often. They do. Um, yeah, they're, you know, take advantage of every opportunity you can. And so, so we obviously, we talked a lot about basically you're just your entire coaching career thus far. And so you've coached some really talented players. So mm -hmm. if you can zero in on one trait or a couple of traits that like the most successful guys that you've coached had, whether it's on court skill set traits or character traits, like what would you zero in on a couple of those traits to be? So the first couple of guys that come to mind is like, are the guys that are the hardest workers, like just the dogs that just don't, don't miss a day when they're in the gym, they just want to keep going or they, or they have their routine and like, I'm going to get it in. I'm going to do my routine. I'm going to leave. And they take advantage of their time. Um, so it's the guys that really, the ones that are more organized that have a routine that, that wake up, they have their breakfast, they go to the gym, they do their thing. Um, and then, so, you know, the guys you think of are like, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, Blake Griffin, uh, Norman Powell. Like Norm's one of the hardest workers I've been around. Um, uh, one of the young kids now in, in Lithuania, the Italian kid, Abramo Sanka, who will end up in the NBA just because he works. He just does, there's no quitting the kid. And so on court, they get their work in always. They always get to the gym. They always do their job. They always go hard and they make sure they get the most out of themselves on the court. Off the court, those same guys are study the game. I mean, they go home, they have their routine. Like I said, so the, the professional guys, they have personal chefs. They know when they're waking up, they take care of their bodies. And then at nighttime, like DeMar is the best example of this. And Abramo, really, those two guys, I've never seen guys like this. They go home and every night they watch basketball something they're on YouTube they're they're you know DeMar used to Google Gary Payton and he'd come in and want to work on something that Gary Payton did or like Abramo would watch the EuroLeague Final Four from 2015 just because you know so they and Abramo wants to know the guys that he plays like like who should I watch who should I tailor my game after so it, it's really no secret to me there's no secret it's it's hard work and it's, it's every single day you're doing something to get better at your craft. Those are the guys that, that stand out to me. Um, and then there's a couple other unique guys that are just this. Um, they're interested in so many things. 
and they're really funny, like really funny guys. And so a coach said to me when I was really young, Dean Demopoulos, um, who was a legendary college coach in Philadelphia, was with the Sonics, the Clippers, the Blazers. Um, he said to me, we were talking about DeAndre Jordan. He said, DeAndre is too funny to be stupid. Like he's a really smart guy. He's too funny not to be intelligent. And you saw it like as he got older, he got, he started making reads. He saw the defense. He's, so there's these unique guys that are like, they're funny. People gravitate towards them. They've got these unique personalities. They're interested in so many things off the court. Patrick Patterson's another guy like that where he's in movies. Like I'm really close to Pat, Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross is doing podcasts. He's, he's in UFC. He's like, they, they do all this different stuff. And because of that, they're like, their mind works differently, right? So even the other young kid, Ariel Hukporti is the same way. Um, he's interested in so many things and you just gravitate to him, he, you know, and you want to be around him. So like these guys, some of them, you push them more, but it's because their personalities are so unique that they end up getting the best out of their coaches because you just want to be around them more. Um, so I'd say those, those two things, either you're a hard worker or you're like this, this special this special personality. And I love that, man. I think it's uh, it's refreshing to hear from from you as well, because I, I like to say when I recruit, uh, like, yeah, no shit, I want to recruit a good basketball player, right? And a hard yeah. worker. But like, if you're putting your whole entire, like, there's one thing to like, love it and live it 24 seven. But if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, and you, you just don't have any sort of um, interest in anything else in life, I mean, I'm not really attracted to that. Like if you have other interests, if you have other hobbies, like that makes you a well-rounded individual. And that's something that yes. me as an agent, at least I like, and obviously coaches look for that too. So just for anyone listening, that's an aspiring pro or collegiate athlete or whatever. Um, I love it, man. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think teams look for it too. Teams want to know what do you do in your free time? Like every, every scout that calls me to, to, uh, to talk about these young players, they want to know what do they do with their free time? Um, are they just playing video games all the time? What's their family life like? How did they grow up? What are they, what are their interests outside of basketball? That's all these teams care about really. Like they can make their own decisions about your basketball IQ and all that, but they want to know what are you doing outside of the game? Mm. Um, so I think that's why you see the game going so many more places with these players, um, investing in different ventures and, and, and being much more well-rounded individuals. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I don't think that's changing anytime soon. That's for sure. So um, awesome, no, man. We're only getting more different for sure. Uh, so, so I have one, one last main question for you here. Cause, cause we touched on a lot of, a lot of topics that, that you know, I wanted to talk about already is um, and, yeah. and obviously you already answered this a couple of times, I think, but any last advice for aspiring coaches that, that want to um, not necessarily coach overseas or in the NBA specifically, but just aspiring coaches. They just want to coach basketball at the highest level, whatever that level is to them. What, what's a piece of advice you have for them? So I think it was my guy, Ryan Pannone, that everybody knows uh, <laughs> that said this at the end of a podcast. I can't remember what podcast it was, but he said, um, take is don't let the money determine what what job you take as long as you can as long as you can take a job and the money is not the most important thing do that now at some point it becomes important obviously um i had a coach tell me one time we were talking about you know his contract extension and my extension i said yeah coach you know like to me like the money's not the most important thing he goes yeah but it's a little important <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, this was a head coach in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, but it matters a little bit. Um, so that would be the first advice. Uh, the second thing I would say is my dad told me this when I was a young kid playing AAU ball. Just say, say yes until you have to say no. I said that already once. Say yes until you have to say no. Um, you know, if you have, for example, you, you're lucky enough to have two different teams that, that are interested in you. Say yes to both of them until they need an answer. Play it out. See what they offer, right? See every opportunity, what it brings. And then if you have to say no, eventually, okay. But you didn't, you didn't burn any bridges, right? Don't burn your bridges ever. Um, and I think the last thing that I would say, advice that learn as much as you can, whatever that means, whatever that means. Like if you have the opportunity to go be on a court with an NBA coach, go there. If they're not, if they're paying you, if they're not paying you, whatever, go. If you can jump on a zoom clinic thing, like listen to it, take what you take from it. Maybe you don't take a ton, but you get a little bit. Um, you know, I've, I, I've spent all this time in Europe driving all over the place now, right? Like, like, driving in the gym and whatever I've, I've gotten way more into podcasts and different types of podcasts and um one of them plugged for my for my buddy uh kobe carl the curious leader and his father's podcast uh, uh basketball i can't remember what it's called but if you listen to his uh the curious leader it's unbelievable man the things they talk about um that are basketball related but but mindfulness i mean mindfulness is a you know a catchy word now but it's like all these different ways to look at coaching and ways that players learn. And if you can differentiate yourself in that way, like if you're different the way you teach and you know how people learn and you know what triggers them and you know how to get their attention in there, um, really now it's with players, it's you have to know how to connect with them. So if you can figure out how they learn and how their brains work, and that helps you connect with these guys, that's, I mean, that's really what it is now with player development and coaching. If you can't connect with these guys, you can't coach. You can't coach. I'm like, maybe, maybe six foot on a good day, white Jewish kid from the Valley in LA. And I could pick up the phone and call DeMar DeRozan right now. And we grew up in completely different backgrounds. And, you know, you just figure out ways to connect with these guys. So that to me is finding ways to connect as a young coach. That's the most important thing. Tremendous advice. And I already wrote down, even before you said it again, that say yes until you have to say no. I love that one, man. That's, that's, that's such good, such good advice. Yeah. I don't know if the people who are hiring you like that one, but like, you know, Hey, you gotta look out for yourself sometimes too. right? Definitely. Definitely, man. <laughs> so man, this is, this is awesome. Before we officially wrap up here, I like to end things with what I call a sports business lightning round. So I'm just going to fire a bunch of questions at you. You got to hit me with the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Favorite color. Maroon, Loyola, Chicago. And nice. I forgot to mention them earlier, Brewster Academy. Another nice. one. Yeah, yeah. Most points you've ever scored in a game in your life? 39. Pizza High or pasta? Game. Oh, nice, nice. Pizza or pasta? <laughs> uh, I'm vegan now, so I will say pasta. Protein pastas, edamame, lentils, filled with a bunch of veggies. Nice. MJ or LeBron? Ooh, MJ. I was born in 84. Gotta be MJ. Gotta be. One of the coolest cities in the world that you've been to. Ooh, that is a loaded question. Um, I'm going to say Toronto because I love it. I lived there for seven years. It is one of the most underrated cities in the world. 
Toronto is off the charts. But my wife and I went and took a vacation in Sud Tyrol in the Alps in Italy. And if you ever have the opportunity to go there, it is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Love that. Yep. hundred percent. And I've actually gotten that Toronto answer from a handful of guests. So uh, Toronto is definitely underrated. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing, amazing city for so many reasons that I won't go into. <laughs> what is something that you're really bad at? Oh man. Uh, what is something I'm really uh, being brief. That's a good one. <laughs> What's one of your biggest strengths? I think my ability to connect with people. I think it's really, um, I've used this a couple of times. My mother calls it the gift of gab that you have as a, as a, as a, as a Jew. Um, so just connecting people all over the place. Like I can go anywhere, almost anywhere in the world and find a way to know somebody there. I love that. And in yep. our business, it's really important. Yes, it is. It's very valuable. Uh, <clears throat> who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? Um, uh, I'm going to glaze over my parents because that's an obvious answer. Yep. Um, so I've already mentioned him once, Billy Baino. Unbelievable. Unbelievable human being. Um, Eric Hughes, one of the best people in the world. And who I got to pick a third, man, that's really tough. I know it's tough. Uh, that's a really tough one, man. Um, the third person, cause I, I'm going to feel bad for leaving people out. Uh, I will say Mark Eversley, uh, the, the current GM of the bulls. I was with them in Toronto. I was with him in Philadelphia. And now we converse regularly. And for whatever reason, he looks out for me. So I'd say those three guys really, and I left out Jesse Mermis. I'm sorry, Jess. Um, <laughs> but those three really like kept me in line when I had the opportunity to, you know, be a dumb kid in the NBA. So uh, they have kept me the straight and narrow. Great. What was your first ever job? My first ever job. Uh, I was a camp counselor slash referee slash coach at a double pump shootout um back in the day when they used to do their their camps and all that stuff that was my first job and i believe no I, that's a lie my first job was i had a lemonade stand outside my parents house there it is nice that's, nice that was the first job yeah yeah <laughs> if you could have a superpower what would it be man this is funny talk to someone about this and we we're going back and forth between invisibility and flying and it's debatable it's how fast can you fly invisibility is going to get you in a lot of trouble i think so i would say i would say either depending on how fast you can fly either time travel or flying those are my, those would be my two choices i gotta say two got it back to the future is like my favorite movie so you know Fair enough. All right. Last two here. If you could trade jobs with anyone in any industry for one week, just to live life in their shoes, who would that be? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. That's actually really, that's, these are, these are good, man. Um, anybody in any industry, I would have to say I'd want to trade with like a CEO of some major company, right? Like just to see all the things, all the people they had, like you think, Okay, I'm going to give an easy one. I would trade spots with like Jay-Z, 
right? Because he controls so many different platforms and different people and so many people rely on him and he runs, I mean, he runs, he runs so many things, right? He, so I would love to do that just to see, because you think, oh, I'd love to be Jay-Z, right? But I'm sure more money, more problems, right? Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's you've right. You've got a million people pulling you in a million directions. And I would just love to see all the things that go into being a mogul like that. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. And last one here, if you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old David, what would you tell him? Stop being so dumb. Um, stop doing, stop, 18-year-old, uh, uh, man. I would really say like, you know, all kids at 18, like you do things that you look back and you're like, man, I'm just glad I'm still alive. Um, so, you know, you're a kid. I was in Chicago, I was at Brewster Academy. I was in Chicago. I was with the Clippers. I was, you know, I would say, look, just all the peripheral stuff is not important. At the end of the day, going out with girls, hanging out with friends, uh, you know, going to the party, going, you know, like, all that stuff, it's fun and it's a life experience and I don't regret it. But if I could go back and do it all over again, I would probably be a little more focused and forget all that peripheral stuff. And you never know where you, I mean, maybe I'd end up at the same exact place with less life experience. But I think it's really hard as a kid to, to know that those, those outside things, as fun as they are, to listen to your parents and, and let them tell you all that stuff didn't really matter you know experience age and experience are a hell of a thing mm. and i'm only 36 so i can only imagine you know 18 years that that was 18 years ago 18 years from now what i would say to that answer but that would be my suggestion my advice forget all that outside stuff all that outside noise because it's just noise that's great. Well, if, if podcasts are still a thing with technology in 18 years, I might have to get you on again and ask that same question. Hey, we might, we, you know, in 18 years, we might be Jay-Z and running our own a million different companies and moguls ourselves. So who knows? Yes, sir. Knows? I love that. I love that. Well, man, this is amazing. I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, there was just a ton of gems in here. I hope the listeners were taking notes. Um, I appreciate uh, all your time. I appreciate, uh, you know, our relationship and getting to know you a little bit better over the, uh, over the last year or two. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to, you know, kind of see, see what's next for you. And hopefully I'll be out in LA soon and come check out some workouts, man. Yeah. I would say anyone listening to this, check out, check out the district and the district field house. If you're in LA, SoCal hoops, classic 1997. I got it from, you know, shameless plug there. Um, but yeah, I uh, thank you for having me, man. It was, it's been fun. All the, you know, things like this are always fun just to like, you made me think about some things with those, that, that, that lightning round right there. That was good. Um, I'm glad. So. I'm glad, man. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure to tag SoCal hoops and, 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 uh, and drive people there. Cause they definitely need to check out what you guys have going on there. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon here, man. Yeah. Thanks Kevin. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling really crazy, you can even share it on social media. As always, if there's a topic you want me to talk about further or a guest you would love to hear on the podcast, just shoot me a message on social media at Kevin Tarka. Thanks again, and I'll see you here tomorrow morning on Sports Business Secrets.